are you a washcloth-er? No, or... I, I already know where this is going. Absolutely not. That's disgusting. Why? I know you, I know you are, that? though. Oh, okay. Whoa. That's a lot of heat you're bringing there. <laughs> what? Explain yourself. So you, do you just, what do you, you just, the soap? That's it? Like body soap? And then uh, how do you do it? Yeah. So I don't, to me, I don't logically think like the washcloth. Okay. So for the, for the listener and for you, just to verify what I'm thinking is actually correct. You mean like in the shower, when you're washing yourself, do I use a washcloth? And then just Correct. leave it in the shower for days no, on no, end. No, 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 no. People do that. That's <laughs> no, weird. All the time. Yeah. Every time like I go to someone's house, like, I see I just see like a washcloth like draped over like the inside railing of the shower. I'm like, oh, come on. No, that's not right. <laughs> that is not what I meant. I just meant all I meant was the okay, because there's probably okay, there's a lot of categories here, right? So first let me explain myself my category. I am a bar soaper. I do like bar soap. I use bar soap and I use a washcloth. Now you also have like, I don't believe in bar soap. I only do body wash where, it come, you know, it's liquid in the container. Mm -hmm. And then I use a, I mean, there's some people who are just not washclothers at all. Well, you can use body they soap don't with do a anything. washcloth. Right, right. That's what I mean. Right. But then there's also some, there's like the subcategory of like loofahs or whatever. I don't, that's, I don't, that's a different thing. To me, it's just, do you use... Loofah's high tier. That's big brain. Oh, you think so? I yeah, I used to be a loofah person to where I put the body soap on the loofah and then I would I would scrub. Plus, you save a ton of money because it it all like foams up. Right. I think that, but that's still for me. That's like the leftover washcloth to me because for me, you use the washcloth once and then you wash it. Yeah, you know what's weird is now that I'm thinking about it, I think I'm gross <laughs> <laughs> because so what I actually. <laughs> I don't know why I find washcloths so repulsive. For me, it's like maybe it's just because like they just seem very like um, I don't know. They just they don't seem hygienic or they just seem kind of dirty. But what we actually use is a like this fabric. I, I don't know if it's like organic or like cotton or something. I don't know. It's like, or like hemp or something. It's like a hemp sleeve that you put your bar of soap in. And then what? like the the bar of soap and it's like it's I think like, I've seen it. Yeah, it's like wicked. So like the bar of soap actually lathers inside of it and you get like the lather effect on the outside of it. And I wash myself with that, which logically is a washcloth <laughs> that is just <laughs> yeah. made out of hemp <laughs> and is formed into a sleeve. So I honestly don't know what I am so repulsed by. Yeah, because that seems also not as hygienic too. But all right, so this this wasn't the full intent, but it, I did want to find out uh, if you're anti or pro washcloth. But by what you're describing, I still put you in the pro washcloth uh, group because I think if you either use something or you use nothing. Um, but anyway, so um, I was in the bathroom last night, and you know, showering and whatnot. And uh, Jenny cracked a joke or something like, um, "Are you are you still smelly?" I'm like, "Well, I feel like." no matter how much I do my armpit, like it's still like has like a minor smell. It's never like completely wonderful smelling, right? No matter how hard I clean it. So I'm going to stop there. Do you agree? Or do you think that you can get to a point where your armpit just smells completely fine? I don't have BO. Like I don't, my armpits don't ever smell. What? Seriously. Like I, Oh, I, it's the Asian gene. Yeah. I'm is quarter it? Chinese. I bet so, it is. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I don't, I don't, I very rarely actually wear deodorant. And like there are times where like I do like get real up there in my armpit and I smell. I'm like, oh, wow, there's a little bit of a stink there. But like very, very rarely do my armpits ever smell. This isn't fair. OK. And this sounds, you know, like it sounds racist until you actually look into it and you're like, oh, yeah, no. Like they legitimately just don't have like they don't smell one and then. Also, deodorant <laughs> just isn't as much a thing in like Asian countries and cultures. Yeah, when I when I was like packed in the sardines on the on the Japanese subway, um, <laughs> and I could smell something, I knew there was an American close by. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so so anyway, uh, well, I guess this doesn't help. Then maybe your listeners can. Well, it doesn't uh, apply to me. Can comment, um, but but that was my take. And she's like, "Well, you're just not scrubbing hard enough, then, right?" And I said, does she want oh. you to smell like blood? Because that, <laughs> that's, 
So, you know, sometimes you pick and choose your battles. And this one, one, I just said, okay, let's find out. Right. So then I, you know, just kept scrubbing away and then I got done. And to be fair, I agreed with her like, oh yeah, it's less smelly. It's basically like none. And then I got to the point of putting the deodorant on and I, I use antiperspirant, not just deodorant. So it does have aluminum in it. I put it on and instantly just pain, just searing pain uh, of the spicy aluminum on, yeah, aluminum mm-hmm. on broken skin. And then, so I haven't, I don't have deodorant on right now uh, and probably won't for <laughs> <laughs> three days or something. Well, um, if it makes you feel any better, well, one, maybe it's an, an exfoliation thing. Like maybe you just need to exfoliate. Uh, but for one, if it makes you feel any better, my brother, I'm going to out him here because when, I, I might have told you this before, but when he sweats, his sweat smells like ammonia. And Ooh. so I, I was over at his uh, his house and I see like a bunch of like workout clothes in the corner of his bathroom and they're like wet, obviously. I'm like, dude, I think, I think your cat peed on your clothes. And then his wife goes, no, that's just the way he smells. I'm like, that's awful. I would... Uh, rather have perpetual bo than like <laughs> cat piss when i work out <laughs> brutal <laughs> so no I, and okay so the other washcloth thing too that i i do find this gross when you wash uh dishes with a washcloth and then you just see like the washcloth draped over the center of the sink that's uh, gross okay i'm guilty of that but i'm not like a reuser really still i just to me it's one of the things where it's one and done and then you wash it like you it has to dry somewhere right so you have to put it somewhere so it dries but yeah yeah i guess i don't know it just for me washcloths feel like they harness more stuff especially when you're washing dishes whereas like if you use a sponge and you're getting like the hard stuff off you use the other side of the sponge so it's like hard and then Mm -hmm. that just scrapes off and then when you're trying to lather soap then you use the spongy side no that makes sense yeah well you just throw in the dishwasher but i do both wait you do what do you mean you do both i wash the dishes and then i put them in the dishwasher oh yeah we've talked we did talk about this (laughs) it hasn't changed (laughs) i even got a new KitchenAid dishwasher that that kicks ass and i still do that super clean all right well there's no good segue for this one um Except this, this actually topic of this episode actually came from a listener. And if you comment on the website, on the website episodes, which you probably don't because only a few people do, but every now and then you'll see a listener comment named AJ. Uh, well, his name is Alex. Uh, but Alex had asked me a question on Facebook, actually, in a Facebook messenger, a Facebook message about what our goals are in our agency. Like, not just like what our overall goal is, but like what a lot of our basically what we strive for in just operations and success in multiple facets. And you might see this a lot more in like bigger agencies or bigger companies where like they might have a client churn goal or retention goal or, you know, Q1, Q2 quarterly revenue goal or whatever sales goals. And I hadn't really thought about it a whole lot because frankly, we really don't have a lot of goals. And a lot of that's due to our size, uh, but mostly it's due to Cody. <laughs> <laughs> if you ask me, I have tons of goals. I have tons of revenue goals, but um, which I don't oppose. You, <laughs> I, uh, I think you. What you oppose are the timelines, and yes. Like I, I could say I want to get to a million in revenue, and you'd be like, "Okay, cool, let's do it." And I'd be like, "Yeah," but like in two years, and you're like, "Ah, right, how about 10? <laughs> That's an exaggeration. I just like to push things and hope things don't break. And Cody is just oh, very overly cautious about things possibly breaking. Yep, I I wrote down notes of my goals, but I figured you would talk more first years. Before. <laughs> <laughs> I can talk more. I just don't want to blow this whole podcast in 10 minutes. Oh, we're already at 10 minutes, but <laughs> and then it'll be done. I'll I'll keep going, but I'll I'll tell you my goals. Okay, so these are my goals. I want to be on the Inc. 5000 fastest growing private companies list. And to do that, you have to... It, the rules are weird. Like you have to do it in like a three-year time period in which year one was you had a minimum revenue of $100,000. And then in... <laughs> At the end of that time period, you have to have at least 
two million in revenue. So in theory, you could be at hundred or uh, one point nine million in year one and two million in year three. And you could still make that list as long as nobody grew faster than you in that time period. However, if you only grew $100,000 in that time period, you're probably not going to the list. So uh, as a new company, the goal is to hit $100,000 in that first year. And then in three years, be at $2 million. That's the fastest way to be on that list. However, it's not the only way. We can take five or six years to get on the, on the list because as soon as we hit that 100000 minimum mark, we're, el- we're now eligible we just have to get to that $2 million mark fast enough for the growth to be worth being on the top 5,000 fastest growing companies. And it's absolutely attainable. It's just if you want to do it in that first three years that you're eligible, it's it, it's insanely hard. And this is kind of the impetus of my revenue goals that I have. So you're, what last year we talked about how we closed out at 233000 in revenue. And I know like we've also had a podcast episode on how revenue is a fake vanity metric, which it is, but apparently that's all Inc. 5000 cares about. So uh, we closed out at 233000 in revenue. And then I did some calculations. So I was like, okay, well, if that's our first year at 233000 then we basically need to hit uh, seven fifty the next year and then $2 million the third year. And that's insane growth. We were pretty close to on the path of 750 this year and with the franchise that we we uh secured but then uh it didn't turn out to be the way that we wanted it to be but we're still hopeful for for that franchise to pick back we just up. didn't expect it to be right i mean yeah i mean the relationship is still really good it's just like i think they have some i don't want to say draconian ideas <laughs> about how they run marketing and in, in the seasonal industry but um, counterintuitive to what was expected. And anyways, we're, we'll still, if I have to guess, I mean, I'm sure we're going to do a revenue number or recap at the end of this year. But if I had to guess, I think we're going to close close to 600, which is still insane growth. Like, well, it'd be like five something, but that's still 100% growth, even more than that. But anyways, I'm getting sidetracked. Next year, if we were to make the list by 2025, so the 2025 list is 2024 and before. But uh, if we're to make that list, we've got to hit 2 million next year, which is even more growth than anticipated or than than last year. And the only way to do that in our current state right now is by breaking things. And what didn't help us is pausing client acquisition from April to September. Well, we literally acquired zero clients because things were not quite breaking, but getting very, very stressful. And we just needed to prepare for healthy growth rather than you know crippling growth. So I talk to Cody about these ideas all the time about my revenue numbers. And he's just like, okay, seems lofty of you. I support you. Not my goals though. <laughs> and that's okay because I've got other goals. I've got like conservative goals. So like conservative goals is like, grow like 25% year over year. And then I have like the 100% year over year growth, which means just like on average year over year, we get 100% growth. And how that kind of plays out is in our like first couple of years, we had like 172% growth. It's really easy to do when you go from $30,000 in revenue to like 80,000 in revenue. But then the next year we might have 70% growth. Well, if you average the two out, they should equal about 100% year-over-year growth over those two years or three years. So that's like the the standard goal. Then there's the ambitious goal, which is year-over-year double, like every single year and uh, at, at minimum. So if we hit 130, 130% growth the first year and 110% growth the next year, that would be meeting the goal. But in the previous example, if we did 130% growth over the first year, but then 70%, then we would miss that goal. So those are pretty much my only revenue goals that I've been focusing on. It's just the Inc. 5000. And then after that, it's just steady incremental growth after that. Why do you want to be on Inc. 5000? Why not? So there's a lot of reasons. And I think mostly it boils down to hmm, flexing. Because I can tell tell you why I don't. I mean, not not why I don't, because that's not the why. I I I think I do know why you don't. Yeah, I mean, I can I have multiple reasons, but I can say why it's not a goal, but I, I want to know why it is a goal of yours. 
Uh, it's a goal of mine for the same reason it's a goal of everyone's because one, it's it's exposure. It's it's an impressive accomplishment, and it is that social proof, right? Because anybody can buy their way onto an ink domain for or the ink domain for like an article or something like that, or you can buy your way onto Entrepreneur, you can buy your way onto Forbes, but you can't buy your way. Well, I guess without investors, you can't buy your way onto the Ink Five Thousand list. You have to earn that and. If you're on that list, that's also a gateway for getting into other publications for free as well. And I don't know. I just want the Ink 5000 plaque behind me. But I, I think I know I think I know why one of the main reasons why you don't want to be on there. Why is that? Because 90% of the companies that end up on that list end up folding. Yeah, it's part of it, right? I mean, uh, a lot of them implode. Um, it goes with the rest of it. One, I've been a part of a Ink 5000 company that... By the time uh, I left, it was still a good company, right? But the difference being that you, as a company, you go through an insane amount of change very quickly, and not everybody is in the same mental place or wants to be on that same ride or has a say or uh, any influence or pull in what happens there. And it ends up just being a, a lot, a lot, lot, lot of collateral damage for many people, for clients, um, because things break. For employees, because they thought they were signing up for one thing, and then a year later, it's completely something else, and you know they had no influence or say in any of that. Um, <clears throat> Do you know what number on the list your last company was at? No, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. I mean, because growth is a goal of mine. Growth, growth is a good thing. I like growth. Um, but this goes into okay. I have to address the I don't like goals. Um, and I have to explain what I mean by that too. Although the best person to explain it, it's basically my entire goal alignment philosophy is with, um, Scott Adams, the Dilbert guy, right. Who wrote the Dilbert comic, um, it's research before this episode, because I wanted to find the link. There's a article by him in the wall street journal. Um, it's actually a clip from his book, which I didn't read because I just read it and said, yep, this is how I feel pretty much exactly. So I don't really think I'll get much from this because I feel like I could write it myself too. Um, general goals in a general sense, I think are great things, right? Um, loosely defined. Um, <clears throat> now the smart goals I think are dumb. What is it? Uh, specific, uh, measurable, attainable, timely, blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. You meant, yeah well, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time oriented. Yeah. So here's my beef with that. And it's, I'm just repeating what Scott says. So you set a goal with a specific timeline and you don't achieve it, right? Now what? What are you going to do? What are you supposed to do if you didn't achieve the goal? Um, I think the Japanese have a word for this. It's called seppuku. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're me, you beat yourself up. I think most people do this. You set a goal. You don't achieve it. You beat yourself up. You get down on yourself and congrats. Now you feel worse about yourself. So of course you can just set a new goal and repeat the process of, you know, not achieving it or congrats, you achieved it. Now what you did it. Good job. <clears throat> You're still going to make a new one. Um, I think loose goals are good in a general direction because they define, they help you define the system to achieve the goal. And that's the most critical thing is the system. So you find the direction you want to be going in the general thing. So for example, growth, you need a system for growth or you should have one. You can grow without a system, um, but <clears throat> it's it's going to be hot and messy. So taking the goal, creating the system, and then I think then you remove the goal and you let the system go. And then you just have these milestone check-ins of, is this still going in the direction I want it to be going? Because I, I do, I agree with that. I, I want to grow every year. I think that's a good thing. That's a good goal to have. Um, I don't want to be constrained and limited to a time orientation or a goal orientation that unaccounting for all the other other variables that could come in and impact this sort of thing that I'm still held accountable to. It's not fair. It's not right. There are other things that are going to come in and change and impact what is affecting that goal. And you can and should account for them. It's, it's not possible to do that beforehand, right? I think the saying is uh, we make we make goals for the person that we are. And we make them and not the person that will be once we get there or the person that will become along the way. And that pretty much sums up the problem too. You grow and you change and you develop as time goes on. And that changes your goals 
too. So um, I wrote down some of the goals that I've had over the years too. Let me talk to your, let me talk to how you feel about smart goals. First. <laughs> okay. I think just because you make smart goals doesn't mean you're necessarily smart. <laughs> like, especially with your goals. I, I like the idea of smart goals as long as they're intelligent and not lofty. I think lofty goals should be based on systems. They should be generalizations. I think smart goals to cover short-term milestones within your your systematized goal strategy are an intelligent move. So we made a smart goal of, of, of ourselves of having reporting done by September 1st, which, I mean, we had to <laughs> because GA4 or there was no more universe analytics, Raven tool sucks, and we had to switch to, to Looker Studio. And in order to get reports out, we had to have that done on time. We also made another smart goal, which I keep getting reminded of this of like every day from people messaging me on Facebook, that we would start hiring in September. Well, it's September 8th as of recording this, and we haven't even written the job description. So, But I remember when we would have meetings in like late July and early August about timelines for specific things on when we wanted actually this is before japan before i even came to japan we had we i was like these are this is the timelines i want to abide by and even though none of none of those were completed uh, there are like three things on the on the list but none of those was completed but because we knew the timeline they got, i think they got completed faster because we set a timeline versus if we didn't and i think that's a testament to smart goals too it's just not being stupid with them and there are just some people who are like, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to make $100,000 by the end of this year selling $1,000 packages to, uh, what is that, 100 people or something or 10 people a month, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, that's kind of dumb because you can't, that, that's not a lot. You can't influence a lot of that. You can't influence someone to buy to meet your goal. But a smart goal could be, I'm going to set these systems up by these dates so that this is attainable. Mm-hmm. and. And th- that's that's my only. Otherwise, if you just if you're just gonna completely dump on smart goals, I just I think that's for people who aren't confident in themselves. Which I mean could could describe some people. This Dilbert guy, he writes comics, oh. so <laughs> he's super rich. He's so rich. I know from Dilbert. You could be so, rich, but not I, confident in yourself. <laughs> I I no, I agree with you. There, there's there's always this middle ground. It's just not as exciting or as fun or interesting to come in with that sort of take of oh, let me let me speak about this in a reasonable, moderate way. It's much spicier to just say I hate goals. Let me tell you about it. So that's what I was going for. Yeah, um, but, you do. but no, I mean we we. We do this. We do this with our our owner meetings where we check in and we check in on timelines and things. Um, because you're right. I mean, goals aren't bad, and and we do them, and it does it, it holds us accountable. Um, but you just have to be careful not to uh, you know beat yourself up and not to be completely inflexible with it. To have it set in stone and then not be willing to change things along the way. Um, so uh, I had two more other things that I was going to say. One was just other internal goals that we had and then just personal goals that I had. But so we talked about growth. Um, and then another thing with that is uh, labor hour allocation. So internally making sure that uh, and th- because this goes in hand hand in hand with the growth, we with labor hours, if we are under 60 percent allocated for labor hours with our team, that's a concerning place to be. Um, it means we're going to be eating ramen noodles. It means that potentially if this goes on for too long, that we are oversized and mm-hmm. we need to cut back because there's too many people in here, too many uh, cooks in the kitchen sort of thing. You start going over 80 uh, and then it's it's crunch time and you kind of just have to gauge things and measure them out and say, OK, uh, at what point do we need to bring somebody else in? Because everybody can flex. You can put in extra hours. You can do things more efficiently. But there comes a point where, you know, you want to avoid people doing the uh, 60 hour weeks that a lot of agencies do because they don't keep track of labor hour, labor hour allocations. So that's another goal because it is tied hand in hand with um, growth. And that's why when I when I talk about um, and it's just because I'm salty, right? Like I've been in the environments of, you know, I want to be in 5000. I want to double every year and then the the consideration for labor allocations goes out the window the honestly the consideration period <laughs> the consideration for any anybody and everybody uh that's not you and what you want um gets backburnered and then a lot of people get burned and it's just mean it's just mean um and so that's why it's it's always you know growth growth yes absolutely and 
this is why we ultimately we just come back and we agree is yeah we're not going to do it at the expense of of hurting people whether it's clients or our team too yeah i think i think uh if if uh if you need a refresher on on like the labor rate allocation i encourage you to uh, to re-listen to or listen to it for the first time if you haven't episode 60 with Ilya markov on tracking your time and why that's important and then also cutting all the way back to episode 19 which is understanding your internal labor rate calculation and why it's more important than making money and this is actually something that alex corrected me on because i i said something wrong about how we do things but i think i think we don't want to go above 80 percent labor rate allocation because if we go above 80 percent, that means there's basically no time for internal work or training or anything like that and then if we go below 60 percent, that means we don't have enough work for our team uh so right being right between 60 and 80 percent is kind of that that sweet spot but we want to keep pushing the envelope to 80% because that means our revenue is going up because we have more labor allocation. So we need to keep hiring people. And that's, and that's really the goal is keep pushing that. And I do have a goal with like close rates. So I, people are always trying to improve close rates. And I think if you're improving to a point to where like you're saying your close rates like 80% or 90%, increase your prices, man. Like you shouldn't be having a close rate that high. And it should be it should be a lot lower. It should be like thirty percent. And I, I mean, I guess it shouldn't be. It could be whatever you want it to be. But our goal is, or my goal is, thirty to fifty percent, because that just means that I know we're priced adequately. And if it starts dropping down below ten percent, or below ten percent, below thirty percent, or it starts getting low, either you know there's an economic issue, I suck at selling, or our prices are too high. So with labor rate, and this is factoring for sources, right? I mean, the fact that we're not that we've really just done nothing but inbound, and the people who do contact us are all very interested. Yeah, we've about I think we've got about a fifty percent close rate. Uh, But yeah, that's because everybody. I'll look on HubSpot and see what HubSpot says. Uh, I got to close some close some of these sales out, but I think our close rate, according to HubSpot, is yeah. It's actually, what's the dark green? Closed one, 51.61%. So it's a, it's about half. It's probably it's probably a little bit lower than that because I've got to move some deals to closed loss. Um, but also, if, if I don't hear back from people after like four weeks, I just move them to lost and I forget about them. So uh, it could be a little inflated on the low end because I don't do my follow-ups. But same thing with like labor rate. If if you're getting to a certain point, you should you should reset it and and make sure it goes back down to sixty percent as you hire, and then continue to keep moving it up. That's that's at least our goal. But when when we were back in April, our, what was our labor rate was at what one hundred twenty percent? Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> so, that was like, awful. I mean, it was it was truly. I did not want to be alive. It was like, <laughs> wait, how, how is that different than like any other day? Except for today, I can't, I can't say, we can't say what today is, but you won't (laughs) allow that. (laughs) It's a special day, but, uh, I forgot what I was going with this, but yeah, I mean, that's really our only, our only goal. I think, I think when Alex brought this to me, he has other partners and the others, other partners are very analytical. And so there's a lot of different goals that they have, and I can't even remember what they all are. But you usually find this in bigger agencies or bigger companies where each department has its own specific goal or KPI. And so like I work with a lot of enterprise marketing teams or a lot of enterprise companies, marketing teams, and their marketing department, like their email department, literally just an email department, like their only goal that they really care about is improving open rates and deliverability, where the SEO team is improving rank. But when none of those goals actually align, which is to get more leads and sales for the company, then all they are doing is just vanity metrics. If you've got a PPC team and their only goal is to lower cost per acquisition, well, they're going to be bidding on their own brand name because that's the department's goal. And everyone's going to do something in their role to make them look better and to keep job security. But if the goals aren't aligned to actually the actual objective of the company, which is grow or increase sales, then that's when these individual goals and these for these individual departments and and things just really don't matter and they work against the business rather for rather than for the business. Yeah, I think something that uh people who haven't worked for themselves yet or had a partner 
don't realize is that it's very easy externally to come in and critique any, you know, any part of a business that you're not deeply involved in and not realize that the rules are very different when you're in charge of yourself and you're, you're running the business yourself or, you know, with partners too. I mean, but versus being uh, an employee, because being an employee, you have to be right the overwhelming majority of the time, over 90%. And if you mess up and when you mess up, it's a big problem. When you run a business, all you technically have to do is make money. And to do that, all you need to do is be right more than you're wrong. So when there are issues or there are problems or disagreements and stuff, you you grow as people and you grow together and you work through them. But I think a lot of people want this this very rosy picture of, um, you know, partnerships work in this way and um, you have to follow this very clear outline thing. And one, that's not how we do it. <laughs> um, I, I think one of the most beneficial things that we got early on was our lawyer telling us to make sure that you keep meeting up in person um, to stay in line line and and aligned with each other in your interpersonal lives too. Um, Because when you look at the big mergers, acquisitions, founder problems, they're not business issues. They're interpersonal ones. So I think a lot of these things, you know, with goals and stuff, you work together, you, you improve, you grow on them. But Something that I've always been very honest with you about, too, just from the very early days was like, for me, business is always about what what can we do with this business that enables us to live the lives that we want and not have this business run us. And that's also why I get scared about extreme growth, because then it's the it's the fight club thing, right? It's the um, you don't own things. They own you. I don't run this business. The business runs me. Mm-hmm. If it gets too far out of control, I'm no longer in control of what's happening. And some of that's good. So you need to push yourself. You need to do that in order to grow. But when you go too far and then you lose sight of what you originally wanted in, in your life, now you got a problem. <laughs> so that's what I wrote down. Um, my goals over the years, but the very first one, more than anything, was very simple. And it was just, I want to make extra money and pay off my student loans. All right. That was a bad time. <laughs> I'm not going back to that. I don't want to go back to that. Um, and that was great. And then once that was over, it was, okay, uh, let's work towards getting out of the day job. That'd be cool. Um, and which ties into the next one is a reason I wanted to do that is because I wanted to do personal things such as learning Japanese, which I've been able to do because this business has enabled that. Um, so that's, that's always been a big thing for me is just uh, enabling the or using the business to enable the pursuit of personal goals and not just mine, Jake's too. What Jake wants to do, I hope that he's doing because that's why we're doing this. Um, so using the business as a vehicle for what we want in our personal lives. And because that changes over time, regularly meeting up to discuss and talk about that, I think it's critical. And, and it's not the, all right, we're going to meet up and talk business because we do that too. We talk about business when we meet up, but it's also what's what's going on. What are your priorities right now? What's happening in your life? And where is the direction that you're generally going and moving in? Because we've, go ahead. Uh, I was just saying my, my, I mean, my personal goal is just have more time for me uh, and, and do the things that I want to do when I want to do and not have to worry about money. But ultimately, I, I mean, I feel like I'm a, I'm a business bro. Like it doesn't matter what, what's happening. I'm going to be doing something business, whether, you know, so like just the pursuit of more business already runs my life. And I mean, it's why I want to start other businesses already. So I did like your point about how when you were like, you know, make sure that, you know, you run the business and the business doesn't run you. As you were saying that, I was getting like that, like the spiral effect. And I was like reflecting on my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I was like, it's so funny because I see so many people are like, I want to start this business so I can, you know, cruise around in my Lamborghini and, um, you know, have have a yacht, things like that. And unless you're like scamming people, and, and making money <laughs> super easy, hand over fist, doing literally nothing and providing no value. There's going to be a lot of work that you put into your business. And there's going to be a lot of issues that you deal with. Their client issues or growth issues, their hiring issues, payroll, it's, um, you know, legal issues. And in the pursuit of that lifestyle, you will change as a person. And usually if you're successful, like Cody was saying, all you got to do is make more right decisions and wrong decisions. As long as you keep making those right decisions to grow your business, you're going to become a business bro. And like you're you're just going to 
become the person that is really focused on growth, making sure like everything is good. I mean, you almost become like, like a pilot who is just like checking all the gauges all the time and just like making sure that everything is working. Like the first thing you do when you wake up is you check your email. And like the first thing I used to do when I woke up is just scroll through Facebook. But now like I open the Gmail app and I look, I'm like any annoying customer emails today and you know, just making sure everything's all greenlit. And eventually like that starts to take over your personal life and you start to, you know, the business starts running you. I think it was funny because I was, um, um, I was asking, I was talking with my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, and I was saying, I said in one of our podcasts, I said, there's very little that money can't solve. There's very little problems in the world that money can't solve. And he, he challenged me on it. And he was saying that, well, you know, like one of my things was like, well, if you want more time with your family, money can solve that because you still have to pay your bills. And the whole reason why we go to work is to pay the bills. And he's like, well, the problem is, is if you have the money to do literally nothing and to, uh, you know, no work. I mean, in the pursuit of that, people keep trying to attain more and more and more. I'm like, right. So that's actually greed then and not money. And a side effect of getting money is becoming greedy. And that's just kind of human nature. So it kind of turned into this whole thing, like, don't forget why you originally got into this and what those goals are, because ultimately, once you once you surpass those, the next goal that you have just becomes get more money for the next thing. And that's that's a vicious cycle. I wonder if we're going to confuse people because we I think we're like. I think we're good now. I think at first people are going to be like, how do these guys work together? But that's also the point too, is, <laughs> is you have two people like this. You, you have, and I've seen it in every successful partnership that I've seen is there is somebody who's on the gas and somebody who's on the brakes. Uh, and uh, yeah, repeatedly, that's how I've seen it. And it, it works really well for them. And you're like, how? And it's like that. That's how we they do with, it. It's, we talked with Mike Beggs. Mike Beggs. I did it again. Mike Beggs. <laughs> <laughs> He's listening. He's like, those guys. In episode 66, where his partner, his um, asbestos partner, as I call him in the episode, he's always on the brakes where it was Mike's always like, let's go. It's, you know, next, next best thing. So, yeah, every successful partnership has someone like that. I remember I was talking to Alex and I was like, which one of us do you think is more goal oriented, like, like uh, numbers wise? And he said you. <laughs> he was wrong. Yeah. He's wrong for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... I don't know. I, it's like you said, people change over time too. Um, things were very different when I was super broke. There's a difference between being negative broke and then just being mid. I'm happy being mid. I think a lot of people when I was super broke mistook me for being greedy even. And I just wanted to be normal, right? And nor normal, not like, sorry, that's normal, right? That's the normal thing is, is drowning terribly in debt. Um, but, and, and in bad debt, right. That's the normal thing, which is scary. Um, but yeah, once, once I got here and I just realized like, yeah, I, I want, I want to do well, but I don't need to be Jeff Bezos. I'm okay with that. I, it's not a bad thing to live a simple life. Right. Um, yeah. but, but I want to have fun doing it and I want to be surrounded by good people while doing it and have a good time and balancing all those things. Those are goals. I think. Um, I, and they're just yeah. not as easy to measure. I don't know if I could have, I can, I don't know if I could bear the, the responsibility of the Jeff Bezos money, but I, I could, I, I do want the FU money, but I feel <laughs> like, I feel like once it's a progression, right? Like once you get up to that point to where like you can afford a yacht, Jeff Bezos is, you know, has like a super mega yacht. You're just like, uh, okay. That is, seems more attainable now, but even like, in, even now I'm like, ah, Something like a yacht just feels not. I don't even want to have a boat right now. Laura wants a boat really bad, and like I don't even want a boat right now. I got to store it. I got to drive it. I haven't driven a boat in years. We have to make yeah, plans want, to go out on the lake. It's effort. You got to take time. <laughs> you got to. I've never. That's. I've never. Okay. I've told you my take on camping too, right? With campers and that whole thing. Mm -hmm. It's no. just an insult to the third oh world. yeah no i don't know <laughs> yeah you did you said it on the podcast I think. I, okay yeah <laughs> that's yeah. how i feel i feel like yeah i i think just, i think okay so we get a lot of people who just like are just tuning into the podcast 
I didn't have it listened to. I'll tell like, him again. I'll yeah, tell him again, again exactly how I feel. I think camping in America is an insult to third world countries because we just, we have, especially the people who have campers, right? Because they have a nice home. They have this great place where they can live permanently in a very nice way. And they say, you know what? Let's go live like <laughs> third world countries do for fun. Let's just, <laughs> let's leave the nice house that we have and go rough it. Cause that's exciting. That's this fun thing. I don't want to do that. Like I work hard so that you said recently, I don't think we ever officially said it about a house. We're getting a house. Oh, I'm yeah. excited to just stay there and not leave and not go anywhere because I've earned it. That's a nice thing. Uh, I don't, and it is a joke. I get it. S'mores are great. I like s'mores. I like camp, campfires, bonfires. You're all that sort wrong, of but I can't like logically say why you're wrong because <laughs> the point you make is, I think, right. I just, you know, let me go camping and feel good about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I And it's, I, to me, it's also more than anything. It's just a very expensive hobby. I don't get it. I think, I I think it's just like getting out in nature and just, you know, experiencing like real life and not the synthetic reality that we've built. I get that. And it, okay, it makes more sense too when you live in New York and then you have a camper where you go out into the, you know, upstate New York or something like that. That's more truly the country. You're in Iowa and you live in a town with 2,000 people and you have a camper. Like you're camping already. Your house. <laughs> like this, this is, you look across the street and there's a cornfield. Don't okay? pretend like living in your double wide isn't <laughs> camping. This isn't fair. Like that's, <laughs> you're already, you're not disconnected from nature. You look up at the stars at night and you get to see them. There's no light pollution. You're fine. I don't get it. I don't, I say this. I say this and I'm pretty sure my sister has a camper, but. I, I was, uh, it was nice. We, well, we, 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 actually, we actually do want to get a camper. But we don't have the driveway no. space for it. We can't. How can we have three cars, which we have now, a boat and a camper? There's no way. We got to get like an offsite storage location, which is my which my whole gripe with boats. Like I would have a boat if we had a lake house and it was docked there 24 seven. I just I just don't okay. want to hook you. You live on a lake. That's a good reason to have a boat. Yeah, okay? that's mm -hmm. that's the perfect reason to have a boat. The whole I live far from a lake and I want a boat. Well, and I'm then hear this, and she's you, like, "You never voiced your opinion on a boat." <laughs> you do the cost benefits analysis, right? Of how, especially in a cold weather state, where half the time you don't get to use the boat, and then you do how many weekends can I actually get away from home to go use the boat? That's and our then I'm problem. Divide this out by the cost of just renting a boat, or going and staying in a cabin what? or an Airbnb, and then you realize it's just not good math we're barely home on the weekends as it is like and now we've got to carve out time so i can justify the purchase of a boat and and then take it somewhere and i say I'll, all this if you got a boat and you're like hey come on the boat i'll come on the boat i'm coming yeah, on the yeah. boat. it's gonna be people a great boats time. Are the coolest yeah no i want to go on people's boats i just don't want the boat yeah it's like cats i'm okay with that like <laughs> i, I want to come over and pet your cat but i don't really want to own one i say that as i have two of them <laughs> I don't want to own them, but I will until they die. <laughs> uh, I had I had something else with the uh, with the whole camping thing, and I can't remember. What it, oh, uh, Lauren and I were driving. I think we were driving through Des Moines, Iowa. Mm -hmm. And you know, if, if you're not familiar with Des Moines, uh, Des Moines is the, the, well the capital of Iowa, and it's it's the metropolitan area, and it, it has what like two tall buildings, and they're yeah. featured in the silhouette on the license plate. <laughs> but and it's probably got i think it's got a um, i think it's got a metro area of what like five hundred thousand people half a million uh, i don't even know Des now Moines metro population 699 so seven hundred thousand. that's the whole metro it's iowa's of, city if we if we count as having yeah. a city I mean, it is right i mean it's 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 all contextual though i mean you if you're used to kansas city it doesn't qualify as a city really the Minneapolis Metro is 3.7 million. So yeah, yeah uh, seven times larger. But we were driving through Des Moines and we saw this, I think it was an SUV. And I think the license plate said City Girl and it said Polk County, which is in Des Moines. 
And I was like, there, there's no way you consider yourself a city girl if you live in Des Moines. Like, where are you from? Rhinebeck? Yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. Because that's what people do, right? If, you, if you're from Iowa and you want to move to the city, but you're scared to do the real city, like the big one, then you go to Des Moines. Unless you're weird, then you go to Iowa City. But uh, that's yeah. it's mostly just the weirdos here. So I was in Kansas City before Minneapolis, and Kansas City has a metro of 2.4 million. So like Des Moines is Des Moines is small. Mm. Iowa, I will just say, in general. I will say that Des Mo- the Des Moines metro has more people in it than the entire state of Alaska. <laughs> Actually, not yeah. quite. Alaska has 7 million so, or 700,000. So it's it's close. I was kind of weird, too, because you cut it in half and then you go to the left side. And there's nothing there. You go on the right side and you're like, ah, OK, this is kind of like Illinois, kind of like Indiana. You go to the left side and you're like, whoa, Montana. What just Iowa? happened? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's nothing on the left side of Iowa. I, people are always like, oh, yeah, I have a friend who grew up in Iowa. Uh, where? The left or the right? And they're like the, the west side. I'm like, I don't know. Any, <laughs> I don't know any towns over there. In fact, are there towns over there? Is it just country? Like, like Omaha? Like, is that what yeah. you mean? Uh, I lived in Iowa yeah. for like 25 years and I don't know anything west of des moines i know no. sioux sioux city the sioux city yeah. is but the only one that but I know. that's also there's like sioux city south dakota even because it's that far over it's like you actually cool. get to the line and then they have the cities of the other states i know southwest iowa like clarinda bettendorf not bettendorf shenandoah uh uh just the, the split between des moines and kansas city like along the way yeah well i think clarinda is more like actual southwest like it's in it's like almost by Nebraska, I think. Oh, okay. Wait, I don't know. You could you could tell me any you could make this stuff up, and I'd say okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I used to live there when I was a wee lad. A lot of these people uh, listening to this are probably like, uh, "Great, sounds wonderful." I'm going to come to Iowa sometime. If you do, let me know. Yeah, we're here. But well, you'll... Cody's there. I'll come. Yeah, I'll come meet you. I'm just kidding. I probably won't. <laughs> I don't know you. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel if you had to? Ex- to tell people though like hey they said i'm coming to iowa or i'm coming to minnesota which one should i come to and why and what are the differences what would you tell them go to minnesota uh because you're there no there's nothing to do in iowa (laughs) (laughs) like i don't need i don't when i went to school like high school in iowa i don't even know why we had foreign exchange students i'm just like you had all the schools (laughs) you exchanged to in the entire u.s and you came to cedar falls iowa Mm -hmm. i just i never understood it and but so like minneapolis or minnesota there's way more there's way more nature like especially northern minnesota if you go by duluth it's just amazing there um if you go just uh, i mean again minnesota is the land of ten thousand lakes so there's a lake in a stone's throw distance wherever you go yeah there really and is nature is amazing if you're in like the metro area and like minneapolis st paul then there's so much to do there's music there's more music <laughs> there's a lot of food <laughs> can you tell i don't do a lot <laughs> what there is a lot to do i swear people tell me all the time uh we're in like if you go to iowa like, the only thing you can do is like drink bush light and look at you the know, corn have a bonfire which i guess yeah. is fun but you can do that in minnesota too yeah especially eastern minnesota like where it meets wisconsin there's some amazing hiking in that area mm-hmm so yeah, I'd say Iowa is a good place to raise a family. But if you're coming to Iowa, your chances are you're not raising a family. You're driving through, <laughs> or you're flying over it. Mm-hmm. All of our Iowa I, listeners I, are like, no, like I'm you. here and I like it, and I'm just agreeing. I'm like, oh yeah, that all makes sense. If you, if you if you grew up in Iowa, Iowa is a great place. But I think I think um, I have a hard time wanting people to come to Iowa because I'm like, I don't know how to entertain you here. <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, there's not much to. We just eat lots of food, right? Because we last was last weekend. We uh, were entertaining the Japanese student who was here, and it was mostly just, "Hey, let's go eat lots of fun food." Uh, but other than that, not yeah. There's, there's, not, like, there's more attractions here, and more lakes, and in more lakes. If you yeah. like corn, let me tell you, come here. <laughs> 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 You've never seen so much corn in your life. <laughs> And soybeans. Did mm. you know Iowa's not... We're getting off topic. Did you know Iowa's not even the corn state? What? Yeah. It's Nebraska. Nebraska is like the official corn state. 
that doesn't feel right but uh, okay i mean like no, i'm not disagreeing i believe you it's just that well, isn't like a large chunk of you have, like the badlands too dude and, i'm i'm wrong oh really i was just, yeah, i was ready to accept I, it at some point at some point i feel like nebraska was a leading corn producer i it's iowa iowa is the corn state ah okay also known as the hawkeye state yeah because of the iowa team city. the hawkeyes college team sports ball sports ball I think we're also known for the most bald eagles, bald eagle state. Yeah, I almost hit one with my car once. I tell you that. I think that's a federal crime. I know, but what are you supposed to do? That was go to prison. I, I drove. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, but I drove by, going like sixty miles an hour, and just think it's like a deer, right? I mean, this thing's so huge. What I can't do anything to not hit it. I think. Yeah. Well, one, I think your car would be totaled because mm-hmm. uh, those things' wing, wingspans are like six feet. Oh, I'm, it is a deer. I'm not joking. When people yeah. like, you know, they're seriously, they're massive. And if you did hit one, it would be not like a full size deer, but like, like a doe or mid baby thing, toddler deer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's about that size. You know, what's crazy is in Alaska, like in Anchorage, they have like moose crossing signs all the time. And you got to watch out for those things. You hit a moose and your car and you will be dead. <laughs> You're total. Yeah, no, and the moose be fine. <laughs> moose usually walk away. And so, like, it, like they don't warn about, like, you know, hurting the moose population. They're like, you know, there's been X amount of deaths this year by moose. And you're just like, geez, why do they kill people? Like, no, 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 they hit them with their cars and then the people die. <laughs> <laughs> you're just like, oh, <laughs> that explains out for those. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, well, all right. Well, that's all we had. So I, we were done a long time ago. We just started talking we about Iowa. Yeah, hopefully it's entertaining at least. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll chat next time. See you.